Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. September 4th, Labor Day, 2023, Manic Monday on the next podcast for Level Up on Fans First Sports Network. Rocking out with my boy Andy P. Andy, we had a hectic weekend. We had a lot of telltale tape jumping off across the board with the college football. Man, I'm just so excited. We got some big games coming this week, and we're going to do a recap and talk a little about a preview for the games moving forward. But before I get to all that, Man, I got to say what's up to my boy, Andy P. Andy, what's cracking, lacking, man? This was a great kickoff weekend. We had a great game off the start on uh, on Saturday uh, on Saturday at Big Noon. Uh, last night's game, LSU-FSU, was a really solid game. Learned a little bit about the Knowles. Uh, I'm genuinely excited. I know that the Week 2 slate is not quite as good as the week one did look on paper like week one had a lot more ranked teams and interesting matchups this week it's there's only one there's only two ranked v ranked games in all of week two which is uh obviously not that ideal but uh i think we're still gonna have some fun here uh i you know i gotta i have to start this whole thing off with giving you your props you were on this show last week if you listened to the inaugural show you heard Big G talk about Coach Prime in Colorado, said they could pull the upset, said they would pull the upset. And I was telling you, I was watching that game. As soon as the first drive started going down, I was like, oh, I'm in trouble here. TCU <laughs> does not look like they can handle Colorado. And man, that Travis Hunter kid is going to be a name we are going to talk about every single week on this show. 
man, without a shadow of a doubt, man. And, you know, that's a good transition point for us to break down our first week one game, man. Um, Andy, we, we looked at the slate, like you said, only a couple of ranked versus ranked opponents for week one. But this is not a rank versus rank. But I think that the first team we're going to talk about, the Colorado Buffaloes, will be ranked in the top 25 in the Associated Press and probably the ESPN poll. So this week, they go home after a huge win against Texas Christian University, 45-42, to play the Nebraska Cornhuskers, who's coming off of a reeling loss, which a game that they should have won against the University of Minnesota, 13-10. And it was Matt Rule's debut. He was supposed to put him in a little bit best, better position, but we had the same results, different timeline. So let's do a breakdown about Nebraska and Colorado. First, let's start with the prime timers. <laughs> Deion Sanders and the, the, the Colorado, new look Colorado Buffaloes. Let's swing them out and talk about them about offense first. Andy, what do you see and what are you looking for them to do against Nebraska from an offensive standpoint? Man, I we, we kind of mentioned him a little bit last week. Uh, one of the things that Coach Prime did that I thought went super under the radar, obviously the 80 transfers get all of the hype, but he also brought in a whole new coaching staff. He didn't necessarily yeah. bring his entire Jackson State with him to Colorado. He went out and got some of the better uh, young minds in college football and on offense, he brought in Sean Lewis, former head, uh, head coach at Kent State. And yeah. uh, that man drew up a fantastic game plan. Obviously, so much of what happened was down to execution. I'm not trying to take away um, from what Jador Sanders did. Obviously, Travis Hunter did great. Uh, the, the entire Colorado, Dylan Edwards had a hell of a game. All of Not taking away from any of them. But the way that Colorado was leveraging space, TCU wanted to stack the box. You had mentioned it. Uh, the Colorado offensive line, not very big. I still yeah. have some concerns about that offensive line moving forward. But yeah. what Sean Lewis did was said, okay, if you're going to pack the box, I am going to put receivers at extreme ends of this field that I am going to space you out to allow these skill guys who have you know track speed, can make one cut, make you miss, and then move. They were just creating space all over the field schematically. And you just saw TCU by the third or fourth quarter. They were just gassed. They could not yeah. cover the whole length of the field. And Colorado yeah. was taking advantage of it because they came They came in like this offseason. They must have been conditioning for that speed. They are ready to run you. They are ready to run with pace. I, If you are a defense that is thinking about packing the box, is maybe running a little bit heavier, doesn't necessarily have those athletes all across the, the defensive front. Yeah. I would be very afraid about playing Colorado because they are just going to spread you out and say, try to catch up. It doesn't matter if you stop them in the first quarter. By the third quarter, they will have out-tempoed you, uh, and they will be able to put up points on the board. Um, I agree, man. I, so Co Colorado plays a little bit different offense that you would normally see because – it's 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 a traditional four by or two by two, which are four wide receivers. But they did play some three one sets, which is eleven personnel. But how they gashed them is they took on the mindset of what the University of Tennessee does, and they played outside of the hash marks, running up and down the field. That's why you saw guys like Travis Hunter, guys like Joe Horn Jr., guys like Mil Milrow, the other wide receiver, guys like the running back Edwards gashed them over and over and over again because they put speed on speed outside the hash marks. 
And then they kept them honest because I think they had three running backs that had a totality of about 100 yards rushing, but they kept plugging away in the middle, hoping that they would just bust one because, you know, once a, a team gets a big play on you, there's where the adjustments go as far as the X's and O's during the game. So they the game planning was outstanding from an offensive standpoint. And I think Shador Sanders has shown the country that he's definitely a Division 1A big-time quarterback, and this kid might have some NFL aspirations for sure, for sure. So this week going against Nebraska, man, what do you think they're going to do? Are you going to see the same thing or even more because now they're at the home and in the comfort of their own home stadium? Yeah, I I definitely think that from the offensive standpoint, Nebraska has their hands full. Now, we know Matt Rule on defense – that's his bread and butter. He uh, he's always had a really solid team. He overhauled the Nebraska secondary this year. One of the one of my big surprises from the TCU game was just how poor uh, TCU secondary looked. Obviously, they lost some guys to the NFL. Yeah, you kind of expect to step down, but Colorado made them look silly at times. Yeah, uh, I think Nebraska will probably be a tougher secondary test, but not enough that I think you're going to be able to stop Colorado. Yeah. My my biggest question that I have for Nebraska, uh, you know, that Minnesota game, re- like they lost 13 to 10 in a game that they shouldn't have. Uh, yeah. And they stuffed the run. Uh, Minnesota only averaged 2.2 yards a carry. I think we saw, Color- like you said, Colorado will try to keep you honest with some runs. Yeah. But I don't think they're going to be like Minnesota and just keep trying to do the same thing, even if it stops working. And yeah. my, my question for Nebraska is, you know, if they come out and they start spreading you across the hashes, if they start putting guys on opposite sidelines, can Nebraska still stop the run when they're that spread out? Because if the answer is yes, then we got ourselves a ball game here. If yeah. the answer is no, then I think you're going to see Colorado be able to put up, you know, 20 or 30 points pretty easily. And it, then we go to the other side of the ball, the Nebraska offense versus the Colorado defense is definitely not as sexy, but I think that's really where this game's going to come down to. Yeah, I agree because we've said this all along. We said this from the beginning of the season. The trenches is what's going to pay, be the, 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 the selling point or losing point for Coach Prime in Colorado. I will say, though, however, the offensive line for Colorado played an outstanding football game to protect protecting Shador Sanders. I will say that without in, in totality. They had decent run blocking, but as far as pass protection or pass pro, they handled their business. Defensively swinging it around, I don't think that TCU really gassed Colorado's defense in the middle. I think they tried to come in with the same concept and play outside the hash marks, and that's why we ended up with a shootout. And I don't know if Nebraska has those elements in their game to be able to be on the outside. I know they got an outstanding quarterback and Jeff Sims, who could run around, but the kid was throwing picks left and right against Minnesota. And now coming in, Colorado might have a top five defensive backfield in the country, including a dark horse Heisman with Travis Hunter, man. And this kid is unbelievable. We might be Deion Sanders part two. So, Andy, tell me, what do you think is going to be the pivotal point? If you say Nebraska might have a chance, what do they have to do to attack Colorado's defense? Yeah, look, I know TCU put up 42 points, but uh, I've never been a big Kendall Bryles fan. TCU is trying to make, you know, they had to replace their offensive coordinator. Their old guy went to Clemson. Kendall Bryles comes in. I never really liked Kendall Bryles as an offensive coordinator. Never really struck me as somebody special. 
And man, Chandler Morris threw the ball 42 times. He had two picks, to be fair. One of them was Travis Hunter making a play. Yeah, You, you, can, you can get rid of that one. But the yeah. fact that he was throwing the ball 42 times, and meanwhile, they rushed for 262 yards, averaging seven yards a carry. They yeah. were up in the second half, and they were letting Morris sling it instead of putting the ball on the ground and trying to make Colorado stop them up the middle. To me, that game plan was all kinds of out of whack. I did not like the way that TCU played in that second half. Again, credit to Colorado. They made the plays, especially on defense. Morris is somebody who I think is still a really good quarterback. I think TCU has a good offense. But if you're Nebraska, you're essentially looking at that second half. You're looking at how TCU was able to run the ball, and you're saying, look, if the only way that we're going to be able to slow Colorado down is to keep them on the sidelines. I expect yeah. Nebraska to come out early and often and try to just run the ball. Now, to your point, I don't know if Nebraska is going to be able to run, you know, your your typical your typical modern college um, you know, RPO offense where you've got the quarterback and the shotgun and you're making all these quick reads uh to either hand the ball off left right or or tuck it. I don't know if Nebraska can do that. Yeah. So there is a part of me that goes, sure, you might want to run the ball, but but how are you going to do this? Uh, I think I think that's a I think that's a big question. And I and for me, this is where we're going to find out if Nebraska is really a Big Ten team or not. Like, are they going to come out in these big sets? Are they going to put the ball in the a gaps and just run the ball up the middle and really try to challenge Colorado on that sense? Or are they ha- going to have to get more creative and try to do what TCU did and force spacing and then attack Colorado up the middle? I'm not sure, but I can tell you this. Like, Sims is a great quarterback. I am not throwing the ball 40 times. Colorado is going to pick you off at least twice, if not more, because, like you said, Minnesota was picking off Nebraska left and right, and Colorado's secondary looks a heck of a lot better than Minnesota's. Yeah, yeah. I think the only way that Nebraska can actually stay in the game is if they give a heavy dose of Gabe Urban, number 22, the running back for Nebraska. He had some good runs against University of Minnesota. And definitely keep the ball in Jeff Sims' hands, not necessarily throwing the ball vertically, but with the RPO looks running around the end. That's where they can stay in the game. But I don't know, man. You know, I, I really do believe that Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, got a lot of stuff going on in Colorado. And this game, even though the the TCU game was huge because it was against a ranked opponent, number 17, basically on the road, you know, at TCU and a win, I think this game even holds over more because of how close they are as far as space, I mean, as far as location. Nebraska and Colorado is always an old Big 8 rival. And if Colorado can mess around and win week two against Nebraska, man, look out. Colorado's looking at an early 3-0 with the Oregon Ducks coming up on week four. So I would say definitely this is a huge, huge game for Colorado. So, Andy, saying all that, we hit both sides of the ball. Who you got this week in Nebraska versus Colorado? And what are, you, what are your thoughts thinking and who's going to get the dub? Yeah, I think when you have two teams like this where you're looking at the matchups and schematically there are ways that both teams can kind of take advantage of each other, it comes down to the actual players like I talked about it a lot last week, like who are your playmakers that when things get tough, when things are even can go and take it to another level and just out execute. Like that's something that you see at the call. Like in the NFL level, it's tougher to do because everybody's so great at the college level. Those differentiators are a lot more spread out and they can really stand out in a game. And man, I don't know how you look at Colorado and you say that they don't have multiple of those guys. Wow. Uh, 
Sanders is somebody who has proven that he can make plays. I love the way that he stood in there and was throwing the ball downfield, taking the hits. He was not afraid of contact. He was not afraid uh, to do what it took to make the big play. And then Travis Hunter on both sides of the ball is going to do something special in this game. I don't know what it is, uh, but I think that's going to be the difference. I, I'm going to take Colorado here. I think Colorado wins this one by a touchdown. Uh, I think that Nebraska does try to take the tempo out of this game a little bit more than TCU tried to. So maybe we see less points going up there. Uh, but Colorado's just got those X factors that in close games, you can't bet against them right now. Man, I agree 100%. I look for Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes to win big week two against Nebraska. <laughs> I think I think you could actually see maybe a double-digit win by Colorado against the University of Nebraska, which is setting Deion Sanders, like uh, like I said, up for that huge game, which would be week four against Oregon. They got Colorado State in the middle, but I think that week four or that week four Oregon game is going to tell the tale about what's going to happen with Pro Coach Prime in year one. Oppositely, Coach Rule, you go on to, it's early. You know, you might be a little getting a little warm on Nebraska because the expectations was real high. But I really do look for Nebraska to win. I mean, for Colorado to win week one game for sure, for sure. Hey, man, so look, we're going to switch to week, game two. But before we switch, we're going to take a little quick commercial break to pay some bills around here on the Level Up podcast on Fans First Sports Network. You guys check us out in 10 as we pay some bills. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back with Level Up. Andy P, Big G, rocking out with college football, kicking your facts, knowledge, information, schematics, X's and O's for all those college football fans out there listening in the podcast land. And make sure that you find this on the Fans First Sports Network College Football. We are able to be found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts for sure. All you got to do is just go search us out for Fans First Sports Network college football, and make sure you share it with your friends for sure, for sure. So, Andy, we're at game two for this week. We're going to talk a, maybe a sneaky game that a lot of folks don't have their eyes on. Ole Miss versus Tulane. I know that Tulane got a nice win last week against Southern Alabama, 37-17. And there's a lot of hype going on the hype machine for the Ole Miss Rebels, man. I got a college buddy, man, Kevin Ingram. Shout out to Kevin. You know, he played at Ole Miss, man. And uh, there's a lot of rumbling down there that Ole Miss might win the SEC West this year. So let's kick our preview a little bit about Ole Miss versus Tulane and what you got. Yeah, I, I think that Ole Miss is one of those teams similar to Colorado. There were so many transfers coming in that I wanted to see what happened in week one. And I think one of the big takeaways from the overall week one slate was that there were some teams that really struggled in games that they should have put away. Like we talked, we, you know, Ohio State struggled with Indiana. You saw mm -hmm. a lot of teams struggle with their FCS teams early on. Like Georgia was really struggling to put up points on UT Martin in the first half. But Ole Miss comes out 
and hangs 73 on Mercer. Again, Ooh. Mercer not a power in any way, shape, or form. But what we kind of learned is that if you can put up that many, if you're clicking from game one, especially with a roster of transfers, I think you have to take the team seriously. And we know that Lane Kiffin always has an offense that's clicking on all cylinders. And if you are the two-lane green wave, this is a really interesting game because they, you know, Tulane won the Cotton Bowl last year, lost a lot of talent uh, to graduations and to the pros. Uh, now they're trying to reload. And I think that this is still going to be a pretty good team. The question is, is that the Ole Miss Rebels are going to come out and they're going to attack you on offense. They're going to move quick. Uh, their quarterback, uh, Jackson Dart, threw for four touchdowns in that Mercer game. He only And he only threw the ball 23 times, averaged yeah. 14.5 yards per throw, had a fantastic game. He's a junior. He's a you know, he's been in the program for a minute. And I think if you're Tulane, this is kind of like that make or break game to show that if you can hold on to that momentum that you had last year, a lot of the advanced metrics don't love this Tulane team. They're still not quite a top 25 team in SP+. Meanwhile, you're looking at Ole Miss, who is definitively a top 25 team. I don't know if they're the best team in the West, but this game goes a long way, like, you know, Tulane goes and hangs 500 yards of offense in this game. I think we had to talk about the Rebels as a SEC dark horse, which is a weird thing to do. Like I'm, I'm used to kind of over, you know, looking over them. They're not necessarily a team that I think about a lot, but big G I'm, I'm just curious to you uh, for you. This is, this is one of those games that could be a blowout, but might be sneaky. Good. If, if uh, the Tulane offense can do something against the Ole Miss defense. Well, this is the deal, man, and a lot of people don't know this. When you start talking about X's and O's and player against player, Tulane has very similar players as Ole Miss. They're actually recruited from the same region. For those that don't know out in college football land, Tulane University is right in the heart of New Orleans, Louisiana. So Tulane University recruits literally the same players as Ole Miss. But before I even say that, Andy, I think the big thing of why Jackson Dart plays so well it's because Spencer Sanders is sitting right beside, right behind him. Spencer Sanders ended up throwing for almost 150 yards and two touchdowns. So, you know, he's got to play to keep his job. And I like healthy competition at quarterback. That's a whole other story when you start talking about Buckeye talking with me. But healthy competition where both guys can throw the ball all over the field is going to make the difference for Ole Miss. Swinging back to Tulane, I think offensively Tulane does play a traditional spread-out offense, but they go – when you start talking about a million miles an hour, I think the only team that had more snaps at a faster pace than 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 Ole Miss and or Tennessee was Tulane in their opener. Tulane, even though they scored thirty-seven to seven, had all kind of RPO, fast pace, fast go, fast go, fast go. What killed them is is that uh, Southern Alabama slowed the game up to a crawl. So by the time Tulane got back on the field. It was like, okay, we're going to go real fast and score, and they slow it up to a crawl, slow it up to a crawl, slow it up to a crawl. I think from an X and O standpoint as well, Tulane has the bodies to hang with Ole Miss. Tulane has some definitely Division I, high-quality defensive players and definite quality quarterback and running back. So I think that when it comes down to it, this might not be such as a lopsided game as what people think. Tulane was in a big-time bowl game last year, by the way. So I, I really do believe that, and, and they had a lot of carryover from the team they had, not talking about Chardonnay that's in the NFL for, for the uh, Seattle Seahawks, but the rest of the guys that they got, they had an excellent team. 
So I really do believe moving forward that this game is going to be a lot closer than what you think on Saturday. Andy, any bold prediction out of you between Tulane and Ole Miss? I'm telling you right now, one of the guys that I do really like on Tulane's offense is Jaquan Jackson. He is your prototypical slot receiver, uh, but he has been at Tulane. This is his fifth year in the program. He's been there yeah. since 2019. He had 106 yards on just three receptions. I Like you were saying, when you want to move fast like that, you have yeah. to have somebody reliable in the slot that you can always have as the first primary look. Uh, yeah. Tulane really spread the ball out against South Alabama when it came to passing. You know, nobody had more than four receptions. Correct. But I think I think in this Ole Miss game, you're going to see a lot more targeting of Jackson. I think he's somebody that is going to get a lot of looks in this game. I am going to say, you know, I like Ole Miss a lot, but I think Tulane keeps this game close. It is in New Orleans, which is also a whole yeah. thing like Tulane's. Tulane's got a brand new stadium. Like this is the kind of game that you want to open up that stadium in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I personally, I'm going to roll with Tulane here. I think it'll be really close, but I think, I think it's going to be real close. Uh, But I do think that Tulane gets it. uh, Thanks to the, you know, thanks to that tempo. Thanks to that pace. Uh, But I think our takeaway from this is going to be uh, this might be the offensive game of the week. Like if you want yeah. points, this is the game to watch. Yeah, definitely. You, you you pointed out a great fact saying that it's the opening game on their college campus. You know, traditionally Tulane plays at the Superdome in Louisiana, the Mercedes Benz Dome, whatever you want to call it. It's the big dome that sits right in the middle of the city <laughs> in New Orleans, Louisiana. So they, traditionally they play a lot of games there. But to have a brand new stadium opening up right in the heart of New Orleans it's going to be huge, huge, huge for a SEC team that's used to playing in big revenue, big places. I mean, heck, they play in Tuscaloosa. They play in College Station. So they know that those guys know how to play and show up in big games. I just don't know if Tulane has as many horses as they need to win the game. So I'm going to roll with Ole Miss, but in a nail-biter. I think it could be a high-scoring but I wouldn't be shocked if this game ends up somewhere around 38-35 for, for, for Ole Miss to get the win over Tulane. But the key point, like you pointed out, the slot receiver for Tulane, that Jack, that slot receiver Jackson, he, you know, he reminds me of I, I watched some game tape on him, some game fill on him, and it reminds me of Josh Downs in North Carolina. He sort of plays the exact same way. So, and, you know, downs in space caused problems last year. So if they can find creative ways to, to mask him but still getting the ball outside of the hash marks, man, you never know. But I, I just think Ole Miss wins the game this week. That's just my call. Because the SEC's got to have a rebound based on what happened week one, for sure, for sure, because they're, they're in a hurting mode a little bit right now over there in the SEC, man. Yeah, ACC really did take uh, take the SEC's lunch this week. It would it would be a real stinger if you know the top team in the American took out a team that is hoping to be in the SEC title game. Uh, yeah. So this is it's it again. This is why the opening weeks of college football are so much fun. Like we can talk about it. We know what they're going to do scheme wise. We know what the stats look like. But there's a whole lot of turnover that happens uh, year to year. But one of the games that doesn't have a lot of turnover, uh, at least on the on the field with the players, it is in the coaching staff. Probably, I know everyone's going to be talking about Texas Alabama. We'll get to that one. But yeah. Texas A and M Miami, man, whoever loses this game is going to have some really unhappy boosters because both <laughs> coaching staffs 
are feeling the heat. Both coaching staffs are making a lot of money for what has admittedly been two of the most underperforming programs in the last few years. Yeah. If I had to say, if there was a coach that was on the hot seat starting the season, I'm talking about before they play week one, is Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher has had a top recruiting class, one or one or two or three top recruiting class since his years at Texas A&M. Texas A&M has not won more than seven games in two years. So now you got all this talent. You got a top five. I mean, last year's class was number one. So you got a number one recruiting class on the field. They had a year under it, and now you got to perform. So I don't think Jimbo Fisher can afford to lose more than maybe one or two. You know, so a crucial game at the beginning, like you said, there was a lot of shade stuff going on down there in Miami with the boosters too, man. We won't even get into that because that's not what this show is for. But there's definitely was some shade tree stuff going on down there in Miami, man. But so we got week one, Jimbo, week one, Hurricanes. Hey, it's it's been in the past a traditional big game. So, Andy, give me your preview from Texas A&M from an offensive standpoint. How do they line up and look versus the Miami defense? Yeah, so one of the big things that uh, happened this offseason was they brought in Bobby Petrino, obviously has had a colorful career to say the least, um, but has always been an offensive guy. And I think one of the big – one of, like, you know, Jimbo is somebody who came in, offense is going to do this, and it just hasn't happened at Texas A&M. So they played New Mexico, not a very good team, but they put up 52 on uh, New Mexico. It wasn't a very yeah. competitive game. Connor nice. Weigman – uh, 18 of 23 for 236 yards, average 10 yards of completion, five total touchdowns. That's what you want to see out of this game. They didn't really try to do too much on the ground. They were really trying to spread them out and uh, chuck the ball around against New Mexico, and it worked. Uh, I think when you're Texas A&M and you're playing this game against Miami, you know it's going to be hot right there. Like I'm checking right now. Uh, I've got the preview up. According to the ESPN weather tracker, we're looking at a, a kickoff temperature, 100. 330 at, at 88 is the temperature. The real feel is going to be over 100. Yeah. If you if you want to spread it out and run it that way, you got to be you got to have the horses for it. And I think that Texas A&M has some really good receivers. You know, Evan Stewart was the leading receiver uh, against New Mexico, uh, but multiple receivers had at least six receptions. I. I think it'll be interesting to say the least, uh, partially because of the Texas A&M offense. I really don't love the Miami defense. Like it's oh. it's not not my favorite unit out there. Uh, Miami played Miami of Ohio. They won thirty eight to three. Again, another opponent that's not really challenging all that much. Uh, but the Miami uh, the Miami defense is not necessarily to the level of the rest of the top ACC schools, which means that it's not to the level of the SEC competition that Texas A&M is going to see this season. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly, man. I mean, the issue is that both of these teams sort of played a vanilla team to start the season out with, you know, they didn't play up two par opponents. And so now we're going to see big on big, you know, power five versus power five. And I think that just based on the horses, even though Miami has recruited well over the last season or two, Texas A&M has no reason to not show up. I think defensively, they had a guy named Josh DeBerry that was a defensive back that I think he's going to be playing on NFL Sundays. I think he led him with ten total tackles, seven total tackles, but 
tackles for loss, something like four or five, and he even had a sack and a couple of pass breakups. So I think that he can take the number one weapon away from Miami, away, you know, by his DB play. But the issue is what it comes down to when you start talking power five on power five, it's whose trenches is better. You know, I mean, we saw that obviously last night in the Florida State LSU game. Florida State was better than LSU in the trenches. So now here we are, SEC versus ACC again. Whose trenches are better? I got to give Texas A&M the nod defensively. If you take Texas A&M's defensive line versus Miami's defense offensive line, got to give it to Texas A&M. I think they got the depth and the, be able to run players in and out that eventually gas Miami if they try to get into a, a fight or slug fight in a phone booth. But I think on that side of the ball, maybe the advantage is Texas A&M. Andy, what do you think, if you swing it the other way, what does Miami's defense stand up against Texas A&M's offensive line? Because Texas A&M's offensive line is filled up with five-star prospects. What do you look? What are you looking at based on the film evaluation from those two teams? Yeah, and I think I, I think you hit the nail on the head here. Like uh, Miami, you've got one of the one of the big knocks that I had on Miami, you know, coming into this year is that. You you hired Mario Cristobal. I, I yeah. he's a program you know he's a program son. He's coming back here. You expect a Mario Cristobal team. You saw this up at Oregon. Be big on the line. Be able to run you over. Uh, be be really physically dominant on both sides of the ball. And what we've seen yeah. so far under the Cristobal era is that that's just not been the case at Miami. Part of it's yeah. been recruiting. Part of it's been injuries. But. A win against Miami of Ohio isn't going to convince me that that's the case. And even if you look at the preseason All-ACC teams, you know, Clemson and Florida State dominated the first and the second teams along when it's coming to the offensive line play and the defensive line play. Miami's yeah. doesn't necessarily have any of those guys. So yeah. pending so pending somebody taking a big jump this offseason that has just not been shown so far, I think that Texas A&M is going to have the the advantage on both the offensive and the defensive side of the ball when it comes to it. And so then it turns into, you know, Tyler Van Dyke quarterback for Miami, somebody oh, wow. who had a up and down season as you can have last year. Um, obviously uh, it's got, got hurt and that is going to cause, that's going to cause issues for you uh, when your quarterback's out how healthy is he? Is he afraid of that pressure? Is he able yeah. to step into those tackles? Is he still able to be effective on the ground and uh, while moving around out of the pocket? I, I don't know. And I feel yeah. like that to me, when you have a that big of an unknown and you don't have the trench, uh, the trench advantage, like Texas A&M is probably – Texas A&M should win this game. Yeah. And, yeah. But – Should's got nothing to do with it. It's going to come down to execution. Uh, yeah. And what we do know about Miami is that they have defensive backs. Miami yeah. is always going to have defensive backs who can always. cause issues. Yep. Yeah. And the uh, the question becomes, if you're Texas A&M and you're Bobby Petrino, do you choose to just swallow your pride and run that ball because you know you have the bigger guys? Do you take the five yards instead of going for the splash play and maybe yeah. throw a pick? I think from a game planning perspective, this is going to be – a huge question uh, because Jimbo in the past, like you said, they haven't won more than seven games in the SEC yeah. since Jimbo's gotten there. And that's yeah. because in games like this, he chooses to try to throw his way to a victory instead of take the easy win and win with these big bodies you have. Yeah. I I don't know if Bobby Petrino is going to change that. Yeah. Connor, Connor Wigman played a very good game for Texas A&M 
week one from a statistical standpoint. 18 to 23, 236 and five touchdowns. But you got to always look a little bit deeper when you start examining film and all whatever else. He was successful because he took a lot of check down passes. I mean, basically, he had a QBR of 97.2, and I bet you he didn't have one pass that went over 20 yards. So check down to check down wide receivers, inside slot receivers, running backs out of the backfield, you're going to be successful. And I think where Texas A&M is going to get an advantage against Miami because they stayed a little vanilla is he's going to try to push the ball up the field north and south, you know, versus, you know, versus going east and west. I think they got a great receiver in Noah Thomas. I even think they got a great receiver in Evan Stewart, man. Evan Stewart had eight catches for 115 yards and two touchdowns. So moving forward, I think vertically they can attack Miami. Even though Miami has defensive backs and even though they have a defensive presence, I think the Texas A&M is not going to be scared to attack Miami. So I look for Texas A&M to get rid of the vanilla and sort of play because, like I said, they didn't want to show too much when they play University of New Mexico. So, Andy, saying all that, who do you like this week? Miami, ACC versus SEC. Man, it seems like we got so many ACC, SEC matchups <laughs> over the last two weeks. So who you got this week, ACC versus SEC? You know, I rode with the ACC all last week, and it paid off. You know, UNC had the had the big win. FSU had the big win. Facts. I'm getting off that train right here. I think Texas A&M wins this one. I think the I think this is where you see the difference between the ACC and the SEC. ACC yeah. real top heavy. Those top those top three or four teams, fantastic. Miami is in that tier right after the top teams, and yeah. I think that middle that middle class of the ACC doesn't really hold a candle to that middle class of the SEC. I think yeah. Texas A&M wins this one. I think that Mario Cristobal go not necessarily going to be on the hot seat. Uh, this is a this is a big game. This is a tough game to win, but losing this game if you're Miami means that you got to do damage in the ACC conference play, which is really where they've struggled the last few years. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I think the Texas A&M is going to definitely have a convincing win against Miami, just just based on the prowess and Jimbo's fighting for something. I think the Jimbo yeah. has got a lot to prove as far as a coach. That you know he did his thing at Florida State. But now here it is, Miami, which he's used to doing that. you know. So he's like, okay, I know these guys. So I think this helps him get ready for what's going to be maybe a grueling SEC West schedule this year. Because when I'm telling you they play the gauntlet, when you got to play LSU, Alabama, Ole Miss, and two out of the three on the road, you got the gauntlet coming in, man. So I, I look for Jimbo to get a big win this week with the, against the Miami Hurricanes and move forward to get ready for that SEC schedule for sure, for sure. Hey, so listen, we got to take another commercial break. We got to pay some more bills on the Fans First Sports Network Level Up podcast with Big G and Andy P. You guys check us out in 10 when we come back from the commercial break. Podcast on Fans First Sports Network. Andy P with his ACC lore, Big G talking Big Ten football. But you guys got to know and understand that we love college football. That's why we do the content. We take deep dives and look hard at what's actually going on with these programs. And Andy, so far, going in with us being this week two show, we done made some real good predictions and some real good things. So I think that if fans just keep plugging away and walking with us, they're going to figure out that, hey, 
Level Up College Football Programming on Fast First Sports Network knows what they're talking about. No ifs, ands, buts about it. So now we're to the last two games, man. One is an in-state rivalry that I know a lot about <laughs> because I live in Big Ten country. It's Iowa versus Iowa State, man. This game traditionally is a knockdown, drag-out fight. They always play it at the beginning of the year. It's always played in the early fall, every single season, you know. And Iowa, unlike a lot of people's popular opinion around here, actually has a very good football team, including the transfer quarterback from the University of Michigan, Cade McNamara. Cade played very good. And, by the way, remember you heard it first out of Big G, tight end university is Iowa. So Iowa has a plethora of tight ends that they will kill you in a game with. But, Andy, I just want to get your early insight on the Iowa-Iowa State game this week played out. Yeah, this is one of those games, if you're an internet college football fan, this is one of those ones that just morbid curiosity, even when these teams are bad, you know that this game is going to end in a field goal going one way or the other. Facts. Uh, <laughs> it, is, it is one of those traditions that lets you know that college football is back. And I think one of the interesting things this year is that Iowa ranked number 25 right now. They won their opening game against Utah State, but they only won 24 to 14. And Iowa's offense last year was laughably, laughably bad. Uh, You know, if you don't know. Maybe the worst uh, in FBS. Maybe the worst in FBS. Maybe. Yep. And now they have a 25 point quota put on their offensive coordinator that he has to hit over the season if he wants to keep his job. Uh, in case you're wondering, they only scored 24 against Utah State. They scored two <laughs> touchdowns in the first two drives, and then they didn't score a touchdown again until the third, until the fourth quarter. Uh, it, it's I don't I think Cade McNamara is the right kind of guy to bring in there. He he's not going to make any dumb decisions. Uh, he went 17 of 30 for 191 yards with two touchdowns. But the big the big worry that I have for Iowa. They only got 88 yards of rushing on the ground against a Utah State defense that is fine, but not that great. And when you're talking about this Iowa-Iowa State game, you got to be able to move the ball on the ground. And I don't know if Iowa can do that this year. Um, Obviously, you bring in Cade McNamara to try to fix that. But for me, that's the one thing I'm watching in this game is that you know the ball's going to be put on the ground a bunch. I don't know if Iowa is going to be able to get more than like they got 88 against Utah state. I do not think that they get 88 yards against Iowa state this week. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think it's going to be a slug fest shootout. I mean, the slug fest old school, Iowa, Iowa state robbery. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if the game is nine to seven. Yep. <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked at all where they win. Cause somebody gets a safety, you know, because that's how they play football in Iowa and Iowa state. I just, I just really do want to point out that I like this young kid that's playing quarterback for Iowa State. He's sort of like in the Josh Purdy mindset, you know, as far as like a game handler. But he's young. His name's Rocco Beck. He definitely had a great game as far as week one in a pro, as a pro-style quarterback, but rushed a little bit for Iowa State because he was like second or third in rushing for the team. But he only threw 10 or 13 passes for 113 yards and two touchdowns. So I think that moving forward that somebody's offense has got to wake up. 
I don't know if it's if Cade Magner's going Marin is going to do it. I don't know if Roko Beck's going to do it. I don't know which one of those guys is going to do it. But in order for them to win this game, somebody's offense has got to wake up, or you got to have a big time special teams play, which has traditionally been the thing happened in the Iowa Iowa State game. So Andy, if you had to pick one or you had a key point that would lead to a victory, who do you got, and what's your key point for this week's game? Yeah, I'm with you. I think that Rocco Becht is actually going to be a name that we hear a little bit more uh, as the season goes on. I think if you look at the Big 12, uh, Iowa State is no one's you know top half Big 12 team, but they're going to cause some problems. And yeah. and Becht was somebody he was you know he was a fringe four star uh, recruit coming out of Florida. Uh, who was not being recruited by very many Power 5 teams, lots of MAC offers, until at the very end of his recruitment, you saw Ole Miss swing through. And if there's yeah. one thing that we talked about Ole Miss earlier in the show, we know Lane Kiffin can identify offensive talent. You know that if he's going after somebody, that that person is going to be a good offensive talent. And the fact that Iowa State was able to hang on to Becht, I think says a lot about what they think about this guy's upside this yes. is like you said, this is one of those games where they just need to be a game manager. Uh, I personally think that that's going to be the difference here. Iowa State's going to try to not lose this game. Yeah. I think Iowa, and we've seen Kate McNamara uh, play in the past. I think Iowa is going to try for maybe try to win the game. Yeah. I don't necessarily know that this is, this is the game where you want to be taking those kinds of risks. I think Iowa State wins it close. Um, which Ooh. technically would be an upset. Iowa, yeah. Iowa is favored in this game by four points. I do not. I think no matter what happens, this game is going to be a two or a three point game. It's not going to be a four point game. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, I just don't think that Iowa State can pull it out. I think when you start talking about game management and a guy who's not going to lose a game for you, it's definitely Cade McNamara. He's he's going to manage the game. <laughs> he's not going to make no big splash play. That's not him. He didn't do it at Michigan. He dang for sure is not going to do it in Iowa, but I just think that you'll get a you'll get a play where he'll get a, a cross route back across the field with a tight end, and they'll be standing wide open in the flat, and that'll score. And that might be the only score that happens during the game. You could have a bunch of field goals, you could have some safeties, you might have a. a well, I'm gonna say not the only score. It might be the only offensive touchdown that happens. There we go. But you get a bunch of field goals, a bunch of safeties you get a bunch of kickoff returns punt returns something odd is going to happen in an iowa iowa state game it happens every single year and living in this area of the country and knowing it because it's sort of big 10 country but it ain't because iowa state's big 12 versus big 10 but i know and, and and by the way i also went to junior college in iowa i went to waldorf university which is in forest city iowa so i saw this game as a rival from ames played out more than one time. And so it's always been and it always will be a fight in a phone booth. I'm saying Iowa wins 13-9 against Iowa State this week. For sure, for sure. Sounds That sounds like an Iowa-Iowa State game if I ever heard one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, Andy, we've come to the highlight of the show, man. The game that both me and you have been salivating to get our hands on and do some breakdowns this week. We have maybe the game of the year as of to date that will be played on Saturday where the University of Texas travels to Tuscaloosa to take on Nick Saban and the powerful Alabama Crimson Tide. This game's going to have a lot of implications maybe on a Heisman Trophy, 
maybe on college football seeding, maybe on conference championship, and with Texas joining the SEC next year, a lot of chop and a lot of talk is going to be going on about is Texas up to par to be able to fight and battle against a top-ranked SEC school? Andy, give me your preview about what's going on early with this Texas Longhorn Alabama Crimson Tide game played in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, this is going to be one of those games that you go, you recognize the helmets, you recognize the the personalities on the sideline. Steve Sarkeesian going up against Nick Saban, the guy that helped reinvent Sarkeesian's career uh, when he was, you know, OC at Alabama. So it's, you know, that Saban, that Saban coaching tree is deep and he's got another mentor or mentee coming into Tuscaloosa trying to pull the upset. I was I'm not gonna lie I thought this game was gonna be a lot closer before week mm. one happened mm. and then Alabama gave Jalen Milrow the reins at quarterback and yeah. I'm not gonna lie Jalen Milrow looked a lot better than I could have potentially imagined 194 Facts. through the air with three touchdowns in the air and yeah. uh he was he was just as effective rushing the ball as well uh if it felt like, and I know this is a little bit hyperbole to say, but it felt like Jalen Milrow is stepping into Jalen Hurts' shoes a little bit there. Man, I promise you I was going to say that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I promise you I was going to say that. It just feels like Saban has done it again. He's found another one of these quarterbacks that obviously, you know, blue chip recruit, but not yeah. one of the top five quarterbacks that people were talking about in his cycle. And yeah. he has put him in that Alabama offense, put him in that Alabama training program. And Milrow was not just not just the fact that he physically looked to the part uh, in the pocket and running the ball, but just from a standpoint of keeping his head up. There was one play uh, against Middle Tennessee State where uh, the, it was just a terrible shotgun snap. Ball goes down and Milrow picks the ball up. Instead of panicking and doing that quarterback thing where you run backwards and you keep running and you turn your back to the line, he's yeah. keeping his head up. He's looking at the rush. He steps into the rush, trusting his offensive line to protect him, and then ran it to the house. Like That's the kind of stuff that you can't teach. You just hope that a kid picks up over time. And I... I think that this might be the first – like, everybody's talking about Georgia winning the SEC. Oh, it's a foregone conclusion Georgia's going to be in the SEC title game. Yeah. I think this is the game where Alabama comes out and reminds everybody that, hey, it's still Bama. They're just as good as Georgia. And if yeah. they have their quarterback situation figured out, I might like Bama more than Georgia this year. Man, that's that's saying a lot, man. You know, yes, it's just it the, swing, the swing it the other way, man. Since he talked about Milrow – I want to talk about Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers is the second-year starter for the University of Texas, Ohio State transfer, and um, he didn't come out and show his best showing for sure, for sure, against a subpar Rice team in 37-10. Quinn Ewers was 19-30 for 260 yards and three touchdowns, but he had a lot of passes that were just overthrown, a lot of what we call moon balls, A.E. Russell Wilson in the NFL, where he just threw it out there, you know, the guys like Xavier Worthy on the outside. And I that might have been trying to set Alabama up to say, okay, hey, look, they got the speed to beat us deep. But he did not look impressive for a guy who was supposed to be one of those Heisman hopefuls moving in. You know, so when you start talking about quarterback play to quarterback play, 
Quinn Ewers might have had the subpar quarterback play where Milrow had the excellent quarterback play. And I think, to be honest, Andy, the, the deal is going to be whose quarterback plays the best because I think they both got studs defensively. I mean, when you start talking about Kool-Aid McKinley, man, I love that kid playing quarterback in Alabama, man. And they got a, they, they keep a stud front seven. Texas has got some of those same guys, man. You know, so I really do think that this game comes down to what quarterback plays the best. And traditionally, does the mentees play well against the mentor and, Jim, and, and, uh, and Nick Saban? So I don't know. I'm sort of torn on this game. But I want to see what your early thoughts are as far as prediction of who will win this game this week. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that we saw in week one is that if you watch that Rice game, it took about two, it took about a half before the Texas O-line woke up and kind of remembered that they should be shoving Rice around and not the other way around. Uh, you look at the bodies and Texas does match up in terms of pure size and and skill. But what we saw in that Rice game was an offensive line that was sending Ewers running a lot more than they, he should be. And like you said, Ewers is somebody who is a, a little bit more experienced than Milrow. You know, he's played at both Ohio State and Texas. He should be able to handle the pressure of, of Tuscaloosa and Brian Denny Stadium. Yeah. But it's a different level if there's pressure both from like the noise and the big and the big stadium and the big stage. Uh, and the actual pressure that's coming at him. And that's where we saw Texas falter last year. Uh, they Ewers did not do well when that offensive line started collapsing in the back half of the season. And yeah. he was, even though he's got wheels, he's not somebody who looks necessarily comfortable in those design bootlegs and throwing on the run. Yeah. And yeah. it's something that, Against Rice, he actually weirdly looked better on those plays than he did when he actually had a pocket put together. Yeah. So I don't quite know. I don't know what the read on that is. And that level of uncertainty is all you need to give me to ride with Bama. Like yeah. uh, Bama played a very good Middle Tennessee State defense, made them look silly. Uh, I think that Bama is going to win this game. Tech viewers might surprise us and end up, you know, showing a little bit more and putting some more stuff together. Uh, yeah. But I, I just think that the front seven of Bama is going to be in Texas's backfield all night. And if yeah. that's the case, I don't know if viewers is going to have enough time to make plays. And like you were saying, he just did not look good on those deep balls that you'll need to hit in order to keep that front seven honest. Yeah, the only advantage that Ewers might have in this is because last year he was knocked out of the game against Alabama because the front seven, including Will Anderson, put a lot of pressure on that kid. You know, so this might be a get-back game for him. But I'm thinking that also, too, that the Texas defensive line and linebackers has got to put pressure on Milrow, and they got to make him second-guess himself because at the end of the day, Milrow is always going to rely on his feet, sort of like Jalen Hurts. You know, play by play by play by play. So if they make him second guess where he's got to go to second read, third read, then maybe you got an opportunity. But in the trenches, does Texas have it? I know they got Tavante Sweat. They got Ethan Burt. They got Malik Muhammad. They got guys who can put pressure on the University of Alabama's team. But can they consistently do it in Tuscaloosa? So I think it's going to be one of those games where it might get ugly late, and that depends on whoever plays well through the third quarter. 
I look yep. forward to going to very similar in like the LSU and Florida State game, 17-14 halftime, half and then the other teams will start to oppose on the other team. So, Andy, by saying all that, who you got? Texas versus Bama. I'm going to ride with Bama. Spread is Alabama by seven. I don't know uh, if I feel that confident in this game. Like you said, I do think it I, – I think you put it perfectly. I think at halftime we're going to see this game be close, yeah. and then it will really be in the second half. Like who who makes the better adjustments? I never want to bet against Nick Saban in that regard. I'm going to ride with Bama in this game. I think Bama is going to prove that they are one of the two best teams in the SEC – and we're going to be waiting all season long on that, you know, SEC championship game where presumably we see Georgia, Alabama for the first time. Man, I like it. I like the call, but Andy, I'm gonna go get get you, man, this week, man. Ooh. Something is telling me that those Texas Longhorns has got something up their sleeve, man. And I think you're going to get a big, big, big play by Xavier Worthy that's going to set the tone very early for the Texas Longhorn football team. They have maybe top three wide receiver combination in the country, top three wide receiver rooms, I would say University of Washington, Ohio State University. And I just think that those athletes, even though Bama's got Kool-Aid McKinley in the gang on the backfield, and I love that kid's name. And why doesn't <laughs> why doesn't NIL have a deal with Kool-Aid McKinley? I don't understand that. Kool-Aid, and that's his name? He should have Kool-Aid commercials. You could have the Kool-Aid Island out there, man. So for all those college football fans that's out there listening to us, Kool-Aid definitely needs an NIL deal. However, I just think this week that some kind of way Texas goes into Bama and pulls the upset and beats Nick Saban. I just see it. That's my call on this early, early, early edition of the Level Up podcast, Labor Day. But we're going to see it play out on Saturday. Hey, so Andy, as we close out the show, any final thoughts or anything you got going on that you want to tell our listeners out there on Fans First Sports Network? Uh, make sure that, again, like uh, like Big G said, make sure you find our college football feed for Fans First Sports Network. Really excited. We'll be putting this out every week. My ACC preview show. If, you, if you're like me and you want to just ride and focus in on the ACC, we've got that coming out on Wednesdays as well. Uh, and again, you know, this is this is going to be a fun week. We'll be doing this again for week three. Uh, yeah. Every Wednesday afternoon is when the shows will be coming out. And obviously, uh, next weekend is the, or I guess, the, yeah, this week two is the first weekend of college football Saturdays, NFL Sundays. Woo. It's going to be a lot of football. Big G, you are going to be keeping busy this weekend. <laughs> man, is it ever, man. You know, Andy, for sure, for sure. Hey, man, so please make sure that you continue to rock with us on the Level Up podcast with me and Andy P. Man, like Andy said, I got a lot going on. This Wednesday coming up, I got Pump Your Breaks broadcast where we do the Steelers preview for the upcoming San Francisco 49ers Pittsburgh Steelers games with Shannon White and my boy Tate Boy Fresh. Make sure you check me out on Fridays on the, the Homies podcast where the know-it-all crew gets together and do do what we do, including my boy B-Dirt and my boy Payday who runs the Bear Claw and uh, running through the jungle. And I always would take Boy Fresh for sure, for sure. And then on Sunday, don't forget to check me out on the Know-It-Alls podcast where we're going to do our annual Pick'em show that we do every year. And guys, don't forget, Big G won the Pick'em last year. So he knows a little bit about how to pick NFL games for sure, for sure. But man, it's so much football and we are in the most wonderful time of the year 
as being able to break down college football and pro football. And you can do it all if you listen to Fans First Sports Network, for sure, for sure. Hey, so for Big G and for Andy P on the Level Up Podcast, we thank you guys for listening. We'll check you guys next week on our Week 3 Preview. Peace. Peace.